This is an ABC podcast. Resorts, homes and a newly built hospital have been washed away. I'm just holding on for their life here. This isn't fun. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Save what for dream. You must ready. Helping your community. Helping your family. Helping you. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Hi, I'm Fred Hooper, and this is Pacific Prepared. It's a show all about natural disasters, climate change and traditional knowledge, and how those things are all connected. And you'll hear that through stories from right across the Pacific. Each week we work with local reporters. They're on the ground letting us know what's happening in this space and what people want to hear about. On today's show, after living in temporary accommodation since December 2020, some villages in Fiji are finally getting some good news about a relocation. Also, we continue the conversation about how culture is passed down in Papua New Guinea and the challenge of telling people about climate change and how it impacts communities in the Pacific on a daily basis. That's all coming up. This is Pacific Prepared. We need to be prepared for the future. Helping you stay safe. We have built a seawall two times, but we did no good. What happens when something goes wrong and how do they respond to it? Plan this time before disaster strike. Every natural disaster gets worse. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared. Some news in Fiji that some people have been waiting to hear since Cyclone Yaza hit the country in 2020. Since that cyclone, some people have been living in temporary accommodation for the entire time. So to hear some news of a brand new relocation site must have been nice for those people impacted. Fiji-based Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Josina Nunga has this story. In December 2020, Category 5 Cyclone Yasa wreaked havoc across a one-world level, leaving communities devastated. Even now, some residents find themselves living in large industrial tents, having been evacuated from the damaged homes. Fast forward to 2022, and Pacific Prepared visited the village of Nambawato in Wanualewo. The villagers continued to grapple with the aftermath, with their homes either completely destroyed or in a state of disrepair, necessitating the evacuation of the entire community. As we survey the scene, it's evident that the church, a focal point of the village, has suffered substantial damage. A large section of the roof is lost, almost splitting the entire building in two. Despite around 85 houses in the evacuated village, residents are not supposed to be living there. However, it's clear that some members of the community have chosen to remain reluctant to leave their homes. After a year and a half of waiting, the government has finally intervened to create a safe space for the villagers. Sakia Sinditoka, the Minister for Rural and Maritime Development and Disaster Management, recently officiated the groundbreaking ceremony for the Nambawatu Village Relocation Project. Let's hear his comments or sentiments 
from the event held last week. I'm honored to be with you here today to witness this very important groundbreaking ceremony for the new relocation site to accommodate the villagers of Nambabatu that has intended to be relocated to this new site due to the geohazard event that struck the community in early 2021. First and foremost, I'd like to acknowledge the people of Nambabatu for their resilience, perseverance, strong will, patience, as well as for their cooperation in working together with government in this relocation process. I understand that it has been a trying few years living in a state of displacement, stripped away from their homes, and adapting to strange new surroundings. The decision to relocate is not one that is taken lightly, as it is mandated as a measure of last resort. A series of consultations had to be undertaken by the Office of the Commissioner of with a divisional district and the village task force to ensure that those affected consented to move to the temporary site as facilitated by government. The relocation of communities is a response to the undeniable reality of climate change that threatens the very fabric of our communities. Rising sea levels, extreme weather events, and changing climate patterns have made it imperative for us to adapt to these changes through the way we operate, plan, and view things. Initially, 85 families were relocated to the Ndrakethi Assembly of God compound as a temporary site. As time went on, some decided to build their own houses. Some have moved to other new places, with the remaining 37 families currently residing at the temporary site. Furthermore, it has taken government at least three years to finalize this new proposed relocation site because the two sites identified earlier were not approved or not agreed to by all parties. Fortunately, the Turanabunwalwundrikethi, with agreement of his Matangali Hulitonga and Matangali Namutu, offered this parcel of land called Nambibiri as a new permanent relocation site for his people of Nambabatu. Nambabatu is just the beginning, a herald of hope for other vulnerable communities across our islands. And as we break ground today, let us reflect on the resilience and strength of the people of Nambabatu, who in the face of adversity have shown remarkable courage and adaptability. This relocation is not just about moving houses, it is about preserving the rich cultural heritage, the sense of community, and the way of life that defines who we are. We understand that the relocation process is complex and multifaceted. It requires not only the physical transfer of homes, but also the provision of essential services, the protection of livelihoods, and the preservation of culture and traditions that holds us closer to our Vanua. I assure you that every effort 
will be made to ensure a smooth transition for the village of Nambarabad. Let this day be remembered not just as a groundbreaking ceremony, but as a symbol of our collective commitment to securing a better and more resilient future for our Fijians. Thank you very much. Danyavad and Vinagasawalion. And that was Sakia Sinditoka, the Minister for Rural and Maritime Development and Disaster Management in Fiji. I am Chosai Nanunga, reporting from the Fiji Islands. Thanks to Pacific Prepared Reporter and freelance journalist Josiah Nanunga for that story. In a moment, we'll take you back to the impacted village when Pacific Prepared visited Vanua Levu in 2022. Disaster is part of our life, and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepared. So this is the old village then? This is the old village, which is called Nambabatu. This is the footpath that is going to uh, like the accessway. Yep. Going from from the main road up here to the village, and this is access through the village, the old village. There are about 85 houses in the old village. My name is uh, Ezra Malaba. I'm from Nambabatu uh, village and uh, district of Nakati uh, in the province of uh, Madhuata. And just describe where we're actually standing at the moment too. I am standing in the old church of uh, Nambabatu village, which was uh, destroyed by the cyclone Yasa in Nambabatu village. How do you feel standing in here now seeing this? Uh, I feel sorry because... This is where we have to worship uh, our God, and now it's destroyed by the cyclone. Do you remember what, when the cyclone came through? Where were you at the time? Yes, I was here. In the church? No, I was up in uh, my house. For, for I was in the house, and uh, during the hurricane, we went under, under the house, right. at the bottom of the house. So when the hurricane came, we were shot there, but during the the early morning, the rain was coming. So we have to shift up inside the house. When I came in the house, I saw the soil. Went right in the veranda. So we have to to look for a place mm. so that we are a bit safer. But we didn't see this, what happened during the early morning. It was about half past four. It's a bit strange to be here at the moment because there's no, yes. one, there's no one here and everything's overgrown now. Everything's... The department they, had, they said... This is a mineral resource department. They said to vacate this place, otherwise there's a big uh, rescue here. Yeah. And they said this is in the red zone now. Yeah. So nobody lives here now? Cause, I mean, there's a f- I can no, hear a few people around. Yeah, see, a few people are still here. And are they supposed to be here? or? No, they're not supposed to be here. Okay. Are they, are they people from other villages or no. people who don't have homes? or? Yeah, this, they... But the uh, the only thing is because they have, they want to leave their belongings here, yeah. So they keep on staying here. Yeah. Maybe when the when the relocation is uh, finalised, yeah. they can uh, shift their houses to where the new site is. Yeah. Do, do you remember what it sounded like and what it was like being in that hurricane? We only can hear the the strong winds and, and the rain in the early morning. 
but we didn't have uh, had any sound, so that we can we can say that caused the the crack of the soil. And were you kind of were you afraid at the time, or? Yes, I was afraid because there was my grandchildren over there with me, and my children, my wife, and four other members of the four household. We were standing together. We have children in my house. Have you seen anything like that before? I am 66 years old now. Before, I never seen any cyclone like that or any flood like that. This is the first time I've ever seen what happened in our village during the cyclone. I was born here. In the, I was born here, and now I'm 66 years old. Mm-hmm. It's almost uh, 66 years now I've been here. How do you feel about leaving, though, too? I mean, we yes, just... because this is, you are brought up in this village. Yeah. It's really hard for us to leave this place. But... This is what happens, so we have to obey what the government department, that uh, mineral, uh, mineral department told us, yeah. but we are looking forward yeah. for the new site to relocate, yeah. for all our members of the Nambabatwilas to relocate in that place. What would you like to see happen in this building from this point on? Uh, I would like to... I'd like to to say what I don't know what to say because when I see what happened during the day, I really feel sorry. But I'm asking you so that we can can help us, the members of the Nambawatu village, to to relocate a village, and so we can build another new church so that we can stay there for the safe of our generation coming behind us. You just heard from community members of one of the villages impacted by Cyclone Yaza in 2020. And that story was recorded in 2022 when Pacific Prepared visited Fiji. And you're hearing that because there's been some good news this week about a relocation for that village. What's your plan? Are you ready to leave your home? Plan now before disaster strikes. Pacific Prepared. You might have caught a conversation recently with a Papua New Guinea chief who's concerned about culture not being passed down to the younger generations. Papua New Guinea-based Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Ben Kadoga continues this conversation. You will be in a very good position to give an analysis uh, to an extent, yeah. simply because you, you've seen that the other part of yeah. how that structure came into place and it kept the society in balance mm. and uh, things were done in a more orderly fashion because there was an authority in place. Now, fast forward to today, today uh, different influences and things like that. Uh, you as, as yeah. uh, number to one of one of the chiefs yeah. in the village, uh, I would say that yeah, well, it's, it's a very, very sad thing to uh, sad and dangerous to relocate because after all it's the it's the discipline or the the security of the community or the community we're talking about the region the the, the, the clans the village it it's gone uh, there is no respect you know uh, the people now will not respect even the number one, number two, or the, even the eldest. So, 
the the entire structure is actually uh, has three components of its own governing body. You may have the chief there. The chief is also a part of the the complete uh, elder system. Uh, the one number one chief, number two chief, as well as the elders. But when you start looking at them, try to bring them into 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 their perspectives, functions, and operations, and all that, you find the elders today is the groundwork, but it doesn't exist. Uh, it's just like today, a son, if the father actually tells the son, we do this, we do that, and all that, the son will respond and say, I know, Laudiba. You know, there is this no respect of the, the, the command that is actually coming in. So this is where it, it, it all starts there, and then it goes up affecting the entire structure now. So there's, there's really no discipline because there's, there's no respect. Uh, I think all these things were, were happening in their order where there is a good holding of, of respect for one another. Uh, because at this point in time, if you go down into any village now, you will see that uh, the, the chief has compromised his, his, uh, his being to his subject. The subject also have taken advantage of that because the chief is so nice to them in the, in that in that in the everyday life of doing things out of uh, out of proportions. So they reckon that they have the upper hand over the the elder or the chief and all that. So they said, I, I can't do anything. The chief is not going to do anything to me. So is my man. You know, you you can see thumbs up. You know, even. A very tiny little boy there is making thumbs up, and then the system will do thumbs up, you know, which is uh, it's good for for public relation or to having that relationship between the chief and his subjects. But I think it's been overdone. Uh, I think it's from the chief. I think through the the handing over and all that, the chiefs themselves of today, like I'm a chief. It's good that I actually got. What I'm, what I know now, from my grandfather. But I had a confirmation by confirming it with my father. So, I did not actually get it from my father. I got it from my grandfather. That's that's what I mean by how the uh, insemination of the duties, roles, and responsibility and information that actually came from my grandfather told me that how it's actually being processed given down, handed down, because we don't have a written form and all that, so people are actually picking it up like anybody can pick it up from anyone. So you'll find that, may it be the advice, may it be the policy uh, changes or whatnot, I don't know. One of the effects of this, uh, if I can put it that way, uh, as an elder in, uh, in your society, do you think this breakdown in our uh, core Values in our in our societies. Do you think it has contributed to the current law and order issues that the country is battling with? Everything grows in an environment. So if a person is actually coming from this community, he's actually absorbed in that environment. So if that environment, fathers and mothers, brothers and sisters are all functioning in this manner, then this person just adapts to that environment. And then when you do a check trial balances and all that, when he comes out, 
you will see that he has forgotten that he was in that area. Now he is in this area, but he will still perform from what he's got in his environment. So it's a transition that we have in people moving from Wasi. My son, for instance, now, like, see, I'm married to a, 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 a Tropical Islander. See? So my children are actually going to be brought up with two different cultures that are actually going. So that's the kind of environment that my my son would have. But because he's actually from Kairuku, I expect him to function and do things in in the Kairuku way. It's not going to happen. My illustration is like a butterfly. When you see a butterfly in the jungle. If he's in a, a, a green environment, he adapts, it adapts, you know, changes its color, it transforms and comes back to green. And then when he, it moves from another assist and moves out there, he adapts. If we human also have that sort of process brought out, we can actually adapt, but I don't know, well, humans adapt very slow. If, you know, like I said, just on the top of it, if that's not the kind of discipline that you were brought up, what what is your fallback? You know, like if you if you're going to make transit from a bad thing to a, a good thing, you will still struggle. In your struggle, your fallback would be to the bad thing. Thanks to Pacific Prepared reporter and freelance journalist Ben Kadoga for that story. I'm just holding on for dear life here. For women, it's always safety first. They are the first responder. You're listening to Pacific Prepared. If you're in the Pacific, you know what's happening on the ground when it comes to climate change. You're probably seeing it. Maybe it's higher sea levels, more cyclones, maybe it's hotter. And it's probably easy for you to see. So how do you explain to someone else exactly what's happening to you and your family. How do you go about that? Recently, the ABC's Sophie Johnson spoke with a young Fijian activist about this very issue. My name is uh, Lavatanalangi Ferru, and I'm the regional coordinator for the Pacific Island Climate Action Network. Yeah, I, I think if we look at it um, from an equity land, the Pacific contributes little um, to you know, to the cause of the, the climate crisis, which is basically uh, emissions. Our emissions is 0.003 percent, uh, the whole region, and uh, and yet when you see a single climate disaster like a tropical cyclone wrecking havoc in a Pacific island country, it wipes away almost four years of GDP or one year of GDP. Uh, recently, countries like Vanuatu have experienced twin cyclones back to back, as well as um, knowing some. And as a as a result of that, as a, as an aftermath, people are facing food shortages, water shortages, and we are also seeing displacement of people and the relocation of people. So in Fiji, we've seen communities being relocated. There's um, a list of close to 80 communities their EMI for relocation in Fiji alone and that's going to get worse and in the in the recent Pacific Island Forum leaders meeting 
looking at the numbers, there's about 50,000 people who are, you know, being displaced and are migrating or relocating as a result of climate-induced uh, disasters. And, and I think this is very, very, you know, it, it's, it's worrisome. It's, um, it's about our future and, and for small island ethnic nations like Tuvalu, Kiribati and Marshall Islands, it's, it's a life and death situation and uh, we cannot emphasize that enough that you know 1.5 degrees is not a limit it's our lifeline for the Pacific and we need to bring down emissions so we can align with the 1.5 uh, degree pathway. What drove you to be involved in climate action? Uh, I come from a community that has seen uh, sea level rise We've seen, um, you know, coastal um, arable land being washed away as a result of that. And in 2016, when Fiji experienced tropical cyclone Winston, my community was one of those communities that experienced some of the most devastating damages. Uh, including to you know to our homes, including to you know the disruption of our livelihoods, and uh, this is a this is a personal uh, journey to seek justice for our communities to to ensure that those who are contributing the most to uh, the climate crisis are paying for the losses and damage and are providing. The, the necessary and the deep support and resources to allow for our countries to be able to effectively adapt uh, to the climate impact as well as um, to respond to and 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 address um, you know address uh, economic and and non-economic losses and damage. Uh, but we also want to see uh, these countries take action to address the root cause of the climate crisis, which is fossil fuel extraction and fossil fuel production and fossil fuel exports. Otherwise, even if we have, you know, the loss and damage fund, it, it, it's just a temporary solution. It's not, you know, we, if, if we continue to produce, if we coal, oil and gas and, and meat, um, amino, uh, increased emissions into the atmosphere, we're going to see unprecedented levels of climate impacts and it's just going to become worse and more dire for frontline communities. Thanks to the ABC's Sophie Johnson for that story. Disaster is part of our life and recovering is also part of our life. As you see, they're smiling despite the devastation. That's how we are. You are listening to Pacific Prepare. This show was made on the lands of the peoples of Stony Creek Nation in Lutrawita, Tasmania. Pacific Prepared is supported with funding from the Australian Government's Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Any views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the Australian Government. It's produced and distributed in partnership with Radio Australia and networks across the Pacific, including Radio New Zealand Pacific, National Broadcasting Corporation of Papua New Guinea, Palau Wave Radio, 
Fijian Broadcasting Corporation, Samoa National Radio 2AP, Solomon Islands Broadcasting Corporation, and Tonga Broadcasting Commission. Part of the aim of this program is to start conversations about natural disasters, climate change, and how traditional knowledge links them all together. My name's Fred Hooper. Please share any information that you've learned today, and stay safe. This has been Pacific Prepared. Pacific Prepared.